0: Hello and welcome to the Arts Report for July the 14th. Uh, I'm Adam Janusz and this is CITR 101.9 FM and uh, we're also online at citr.ca. On the top right corner of the screen there is a listen live button and you can hear us there um so we've got a wonderful show for you uh summertime is in full swing in vancouver um i was at uh, the beach the other day and um take it from me please wear sunscreen uh i was there um in the middle of 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 the noontime heat top heat time and um i've got a burn i've got a serious burn and it hurts me um it hurts me talking about it too so um please wear sunscreen this is this is the, the message i have for all listeners Um, because you will regret it, as I do. Um, So let me tell you about uh, what's on the show today. Uh, We have the uh, Brazilian Film Festival, and uh, our contributor, Nick Penu, is here to tell us about it. He's actually live in the studio. Hello, Nick.
1: Hello.
0: Yeah, so he'll tell us about that um, soon. And uh, we also have David Jordan of the... uh, The Fringe Festival, the Vancouver Film, uh, excuse me, Fringe Festival, and he'll tell us about how um, the folks over there are gearing up for the fest. And also, we had a great uh, conversation about uh, the arts cuts um, because David Jordan has been um, speaking very passionately in the last weeks and months about um, about the cuts and how um, how they're. They're uh, quite devastating And how uh, the people making the cuts Are really misguided And uh, just don't, don't seem to get it And he's been, he's been very eloquent uh, About that And uh, So we, we talked about that in our interview We also have the Avid Brothers Who will be at the Folk Fest This is uh, the last installment of our series On the Folk Festival I believe it's part 4 Of our uh, weekly uh, series uh, The Folk Fest is coming up This weekend uh, from July 16th to the 18th. So we'll talk to uh, Bob Crawford of the Avid Brothers. And uh, what else? We have, uh, there's a show going on at the Dr. Sun Yat-sen um, Gardens. And it's called the China Tea Deal 3, the third installment. And it's a sort of roaming play that uh, takes place throughout the gardens. And uh, it's going on. We'll have an interview uh, to tell us all about that, and we also have tickets, to t- free tickets to give away to that show, and they're very flexible tickets because the show goes on every weekend uh, during the entire summer. So we've got tickets to any Saturday or Sunday show during the summer at the gardens. So that's pretty awesome, and um, so I'll keep you, so keep uh, keep your dialing finger ready, because I'll let you know about the the free tickets later on. And uh, one cool word magazine is having a relaunch party at the rickshaw, and uh, there's um, we're going to have several features on it more next week. But uh, today we will speak to Vincent Parker, who uh, will be performing at the uh, the relaunch, and has um, has uh, does other does other artistic endeavors, and he'll uh, and he'll tell us um, about um, about all that. So. Uh, let's get uh, let's get started with the show. The first first on the docket we have the Brazilian Film Festival, which is starting up tomorrow, July fifteenth, and goes until the eighteenth. This is the third Brazilian Film Festival of Vancouver, and um, yeah, Nick Panu is here in studio to tell us about some of the films. Hello,
1: Nick. Uh, hello, Arma. Uh, I'm a little bit nervous. My first time. Uh, actually, live on air on CITR 101.9 <laughs> and in studio, probably sitting in the same chair. No, actually, you're sitting in the chair that Nardwar. I'm sitting in and, a Nardwar chair. Yes, yeah, so I'm sitting across from the chair that Nardwar. So really, in. you shouldn't be nervous. I should be nervous because I'm in his chair. Yeah, so it doesn't really make sense that, I, that I'm nervous. We can switch chairs <laughs> so you can be nervous appropriately. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, the Abbott Brothers, You're gonna that interview is going to be playing there today. I saw their mm-hmm. live show a couple of years ago at... Uh, Vancouver East Culture Sun. Mm. Yeah, they, they were really good. And they're pretty cool, yeah. Yeah, they had a standing ovation. They came back out and oh, wow. did two more sets. Plus, I saw them on Conan, too. Were, oh, is that right? Yeah, and Conan liked them.
0: well if he likes them then we all should All right. uh, well let's talk about the the Brazilian Film Festival you had a chance to get a sneak peek at some of the films Um, there are nine films uh, in all being shown Uh, the opening film is called Love Stories Last Only 90 Minutes and that is a drama about a young writer who suspects his wife is cheating on him with another woman um, then there is also... Wait, I'm just checking. Is it eight or nine? I thought it was eight films. No, it's nine. Um, another film in the festival is called Beyond Ipanema, uh,
1: Brazilian Waves in Global Music. Nick, tell us about that one. Yeah, I really uh, learned a lot from uh, you know watching this and, and seeing how uh, different genres are... Uh, yeah, uh, the, the, the trend in music. Anyways, uh, yeah, first off, just how much of an impact, uh, arts and culture in Brazil, how it's, how it's been its major export, uh, for a very long time. Uh, first in, uh, 1939, um, Mar- Carmen Miranda left, uh, Brazil and, um, uh, you know, auditioned on Broadway and then she became the top star in Hollywood in 1945. And, uh, yeah, back in those days in Hollywood, there was a lot of, you know, the, the style was music and, like, musicals and, mm-hmm. like, she sang the showdowns
0: Show dads. tunes and that kind of stuff. The um, It says, a documentary featuring interviews with David Byrne, MIA, Tom Zay, Seu Georgi, Thievery Corporation, Caetano Velozo, Gilbert de Joux, and many others. And, sorry, you were saying that Carmen Miranda sort of opened the doors.
1: Yeah, because, uh, yeah, it opened all, because... It, she, you know, she sang and danced, and then that that whole uh, style uh, genre of music in Brazil was uh, was recognized and opened the doors for more music for Bra- Brazil to come in, and then you mentioned the uh, producer David Burns, um, yeah, he noticed the whole uh, tropicalia. Yeah, tropicalia. <laughs> uh, looking at my notes. Yeah. And uh, so that was revived here in in North America, and uh, he just looked kind of study the trend over here and how, how that would fit in. And then there were other genres, too, that followed later. And jazz was influenced a lot by uh, uh, the artist Bossa Nova. Yeah, Bossa and- Nova. Yeah, Style, yeah. Had yeah. a big influence? Yeah. Mm.
0: All right. Uh, another film in the festival is called Elvis and Madonna, a romantic comedy that deals with an uh, unusual subject in a delicate and realistic way. A love story between a young lesbian named Elvis and a transvestite called Madonna, proving that love can exist in any situation. Uh, another film is Within the River Amongst the Trees. What was that one about?
1: Yeah, the, it's about this... Uh small village in brazil and how the people are very have this foresight about uh how they harvest their resources uh they don't over consume mm-hmm. so if they see a a big fish uh yeah they'll, they'll probably you know catch it uh, catch it <laughs> but if they see a small one uh they won't or, or, or the same thing with the tree if it's if, if it's at, at a certain stage of its growth then they, they kind of see, looking ahead to their future generations, mm-hmm. their children and their grandchildren. And they show how this way of living is, uh, they live comfortably in, for subsistence for their village. Mm-hmm. And that uh, they they also make a little bit of profit. But then they show the other side of how people kind of exploit that. Mm-hmm. Like people over and everything to, to make a profit. Mm-hmm. And it was really interesting... Uh, uh, later on in the film, how uh, the filmmakers got the help of, of the villagers to shoot the documentary with the with the study camps.
0: So they actually gave the villagers cameras. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah.
1: Um, another one was uh, Tamboró. What was that one? Yeah, this was uh, very interesting. Uh, you know how they show the different layers of, of Brazil, the, the underdeveloped and the very modern part, mm. and uh, how people recognize how Brazil is being also exploited, that the land distri- distribution issue but but the approach taken is, is uh so wait so this is a
0: a documentary that sort of gives a, a survey of uh, the different parts and different different parts of brazil and
1: its society is that right yeah yeah mm. uh but it, it's just kind of strange how it starts off though this uh, older lady standing on the mountaintop or uh, be, between the both sides the underdeveloped and the very modern part with the, mm. the super highways and the skyscrapers and the then the ocean is in the background. Then uh, she, yeah, just starts off like this, where she starts talking. Then she says, uh, "Life is striving for an impossible dream. You are not alive if you don't strive for that impossible dream. People are not what they were. Ne- People are not what they never were. Life feeds itself from the impossible." But it doesn't really fit into to how they show all the disparities later on in the film, what you say.
0: Right. So the the opening is sort of uh, sets a tone for the film, and then the rest of the film doesn't quite live up to the to the quote. Yeah. Okay. Um, another film uh, is called Time of Peace. Uh, in April 1945, battles had ceased in Europe, but Brazil found itself technically at war. The encounter between an interrogator, a customs official, and a and former torturer for the political police of President Vargas and a former Polish actor who was also suspected of being a Nazi fugitive takes place in the immigration office of the port of Rio de Janeiro the film portrays a critical period of Brazilian history and speaks to manichaeism and the fight for freedom I have to admit I do not know what manichaeism is but uh, I guess I'll look it up later anyway uh, so yeah that's that's an idea of some of the films and uh, if you want to check it out um there are a few ways that you can do that um one is the website which is brazilianfilmfestival.com pretty straightforward brazilianfilmfestival.com um and tickets are ten dollars um which i believe are per film double bill 13 yeah so you can see two films for 13 dollars, or one film for 10. uh there's also a film info phone line and the number to that is get your pens ready 604-683-FILM which is 604-683-3456 and there you can get the latest info and listings. Oh, and you can also purchase tickets in advance online at www.viff.org which I believe is the Vancouver International Film festival yeah it is yeah. it's the vancouver national film festival website i think it's viff.org uh but you can only do that 30 minutes before the um show time. and uh that starts um was it tomorrow yeah it starts uh tomorrow um till the 18th uh thanks nick for uh for being uh for telling us about it here in, in live in studio
1: hey uh i heard a rumor that on the arts report you always you always have the popcorn and and the pop i, I mean like you kind of have a big party after like I, That's kind of when I, why I showed up. One of the reasons, uh-huh. like, the
0: main reason. It's all true. We have a massive party, and um, it goes really late into the night. So, oh, okay, cool, So be there. Cool. Yeah. All right, thanks, Nick. All right, we'll be right back, and uh, when we return, we'll have an interview with David Jordan from the Fringe Festival. So stay with us.
2: Bond.
3: James Bond. Get got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? You talking to me? You talking to me? I just want to say one word to you. Just one word. Yes, sir? Are
2: you listening? Yes, sir, you yeah. Plastics.
4: I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Just a sweet transvestite I'm transsexual Transylvania
0: can you see Hollywood blockbusters,
5: midnight cult classics, indie films, live music, burlesque, stand-up comedy, poetry slams, and live sporting events all at your local theatre? Well, at the Rio Theatre, of course! Vote in number one in East Vancouver, your neighborhood indie theatre that promotes all things cool. Don't miss the midnight premiere of the most anticipated film of the summer, Inception, directed by Christopher Nolan starring Leonardo DiCaprio, July 15th at the Rio Theatre. 1660 East Broadway at Commercial. For more information, go to realtheater.ca.
6: CITR 101.9 FM is proud to support the Enchanted Evenings concert series at the Dr. Sun Yat-sen Classical Chinese Garden in Vancouver. The series runs from July 9th to September 3rd every Friday evening. Come and enjoy a diverse array of world music while sampling food selected specifically to complement the music. Of the series' nine concerts, the first four are in July.
2: On July 9th, the series kicks off with the Birds of Paradox, combining Western, Chinese, and Indian music. Delana Gale Bowen with her sultry blues, jazz, and gospel on July 16th, Ocean of Sound with their percussion-based music on July 23rd, and the Vancouver Piano Ensemble on July
6: 30th. Tickets are $20 and 18 for garden members. A season's pass is only $135 with a savings of $45. For tickets and information, call 604-662-3207, extension 210. And visit Garden.com for a full listing of upcoming concerts. The Enchanted Evenings Concert Series at the Dr. Sun Yat-sen Classical Chinese Garden in Vancouver, every Friday from July 9th to September 3rd.
0: Hey, we are back on the Arts Report. So, uh, the Fringe Fest is still many weeks... Away, but uh, the busy beavers at uh, the fringe are hard at work, and I had a chat with Executive Director David Jordan, and uh, we talked about how the festival was uh, is gearing up, and a little bit about the process of how it comes together. Um, you know, it's a it's a year long uh, affair to uh, to put together the the September uh, festival, and uh, he shares how uh, a bit how that goes down. But we also talked about the arts cuts, and I want to share with you. Um, a piece of a newsletter that um david has has written this is the uh the fringe festival newsletter and um this is uh him talking about the the arts cuts and uh so here's a little piece of that uh it says here Uh, People also wanted to know what the future of the Fringe and cultural life of BC will look like. I have no answer. The Fringe will be developing a three-year plan this summer to address this. For the province, I don't know. I can say that we used to have two major funding bodies that fund arts and culture for adults, and now we only have one, and it has a lot less money. That will have an impact. People ask me, is this the sky-is-falling scenario? Are we all overreacting? Not at all while the impact of the funding cuts will not come down like a bomb it will do so it will do its damage like acid rain it will be slow and drawn out with less funding some arts groups will fold over time individual artists and arts organizers will burn out from the stress and leave the sector or the province nevertheless i am op- an optimist and i believe that plenty of artists and the people who support them are too that will continue with less funding Many organizations affected by the cuts will keep soldiering on. Um, yeah, so he's been he's been very outspoken, and it's um, and it's good because we need it's good to have these um, these flag bearers. So, um, without further ado, here is my interview with uh, David Jordan. Give us a, a sense of where things are right now.
3: Um, yeah, sure. We well, we start um, in the. The depths of winter, we do uh, a lottery, and that is how our artists are chosen for the festival. Um, surprisingly, uh, to some people, uh, <laughs> not to others, but we actually choose uh, the main stage artists out of a hat. People, artists who are interested in performing in the festival, apply uh, to us, they pay a fee, and then we, we pick them out of a hat. Um, and we have, uh, we, choose, uh, we choose some that are uh, national, some that are international, and some that are provincial. Um, so that's that's done in the depths of winter and we start planning the festival um, around that and just, uh, just in terms of the marketing and the infrastructure. Um,
0: now, is that is that unusual the, to do a lottery for, for French uh, yeah, festivals? Yeah,
3: that's what makes us special, right? So uh, any other arts festival will curate what is the content of their festival. So they'll go out and they'll curate it based on theme or um, uh, just trying to find the, the best artists they can find or um, so our, our belief is really that, uh, is that, uh, art is subjective and, um, we want to give everybody a chance to, uh, to do, to express themselves. So, mm. um, we're, we're unique in that. So, and we always find that, that it's a real mix of, uh, of, uh, professionals and amateurs. Uh, so there are some amateurs and, um some work that uh will not be seen again <laughs> um and some work that um, will be continued to be seen um uh, and maybe internationally as well
0: okay so, so that's that, at the depth of winter that happens
3: yeah that happens in december um and then in the uh in the spring we start to uh we start to do our higher um during the winter there's just 3 of us um and then Uh, in the spring we start hiring all the seasonal staff that help to uh, pull off the festival and bring it to life and recruit the volunteers. There's over 400 volunteers that come on board, um, to do the, you know, the rest of the marketing, the program guide, um, all that type of stuff, um, so we're we've just done that and we've got a, we've got a great team on board um, so right now our offices uh, you know people are sitting on each other's laps uh, because <laughs> there's no space um, there's about 12 people in the office right now and we're still bringing a few more on uh, in August um, so yeah we're, we're in we're in we're at full throttle right now headed towards the festival
0: and and you don't actually because it's a lottery and all that you, you don't actually Know much about the content, right? I mean, a lot of it is sort of still in in production in some yeah. cases. Yeah, yeah
7: well, you
3: know, some people haven't written their shows yet. <laughs> um, some we've seen before, or we can guess at. Yeah. Or you know, we we have we are, we're always looking to see if we can find people with video content or mm-hmm. in their social media. You can get a sense of what people's uh, people's work is like or what their reputation is. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just always full of surprises.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, uh, I have to ask you about, uh, the arts cuts. Like, uh, you've written in, in your newsletters that it, that it won't be like a single sort of bomb going off, but rather more like acid rain that sort of will, will, will reverberate for a long time. Is that, um, are you feeling that right now?
3: Well, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be, uh, you know, drawn out, um, because, you know, arts groups are, are always staffed by optimists, you know, people that will find a way to keep going and, you know, we'll certainly do that too, um, but uh, you know then it just becomes harder and harder to keep doing what you're doing with less um, and uh, yeah that in some way that's our strength in some way that's our weakness right that mm-hmm. we, we just keep going and doing that you know uh, enriching society um, when, even when the, the politicians uh, don't aren't recognizing the value of that
0: yeah, you've called them philistines what's what's wrong with the attitude of the, the people <laughs> up top
3: Well they're systematically you know. Uh, Destructuring uh, arts funding in the province, um, so that they've they've cut massively the BC Arts Council, um, but also the uh, body of money, um, so the money that is collected through gambling, and that's historically funded the arts, um, uh, and they they've completely pulled the rug out on that. So uh, they've gone from being a, quite a major funder of the arts to not funding uh, funding the arts in very niche ways. So only funding Arts that is, uh, you know, done by children, um, but not for children, um, and uh, fun- not funding festivals at all unless they are a community-driven festival, and also <laughs> defining for anything that has any professional arts content is not community-oriented, <laughs> and which boggles the mind. But you can see there been, there is there um, is there is a real anti-arts sentiment going on hmm. uh, in the in the current government.
0: That's which a- is, uh, really, yeah, sadly. Mhm. At the uh, the recent arts summit, the, uh, the the keynote speaker was saying that because, um, in the actual budgetary terms, the uh, cutting the arts doesn't really affect or you know doesn't have much of an impact on the budget one way or the other, and that it's mostly a symbolic thing, a symbolic sort of um, dare I say, fu to uh, to the arts. Do, do you think that's true on the part of the the BC liberals?
3: Uh, it looks like that. I mean, there's no, you know, it's really not going to affect the bottom line in, uh, in any major way. So, um, one can only assume that the cuts are ideological.
0: Mm-hmm. And so what's, uh, what's the solution? Is it just to change governments and, and, uh, to get, uh, people who aren't Philistines <laughs> on board who, who actually respect the arts? Is that,
3: uh, yeah, that's, that's part of it, um, but you know, we're really looking. You know, it's long haul, so this won't. You mm-hmm. know, like you know I've said before, it's not going to you know eradicate arts, but yeah. it just sets it. You know, it sets us back.
0: And then obviously uh, another solution is is just more fundraising, and uh, the fringe is doing that. Uh, one example is um, at the Havana. There's a sort of dessert.
3: Yeah, uh, call, a little campaign called Just Desserts, and that was uh, was entirely driven by uh, you know a member of the business community reaching out to us and saying, "What can we do?" Um, and then coming up with a solution on top of it to say, "Why don't we do this? We'll give a dollar from every dessert sold between June and uh, October um, to the French." And um, we've been overwhelmed with that type of um, that type of response. You know, people. Um, we have a very, very wide audience reach, and um, because because we are uh, unjuried, um, we have uh, a very wide um, reach uh, to all sorts of people uh, throughout uh, throughout the community. Um, so um, all those people uh, are, are are trying to help out, and we're, we'll, we'll be looking. We are looking to our to our um, to our audience to help us uh, through these times.
0: Great, well, thanks for telling me about uh, the festival and uh, and everything, and best of luck.
3: Yeah, it's going to be fantastic. So, uh, hope to see you.
0: And that was David Jordan of the Fringe, which is uh, gearing up in uh, just over a month, and will be awesome. And um, and Citr will be very much involved in the Fringe. I can't tell you a lot now; it's top top secret. Uh, but uh, suffice it to say, uh, it will be it will be a great uh, collaboration between the Fringe and um, and Citr. Um, in related news, um, I don't know if you saw in the uh, Georgia Straits, but uh, recently on July 8th, uh, there was a story called Bulk of $10 million Arts Legacy Fund going to BC Spirit Festival days. Um, so in the March budget, the BC Liberals have promised $10 million for arts, uh, new Arts Legacy Fund. And um, we've just now found out what that uh, will be, where that money will go. And um, it turns out that it's some sort of new multi-community festival that will launch in February 2011 and take place over the next two years, drawing funds from the legacy money. And um, NDP um, arts uh, critic um, Spencer Chandra Herbert um, pointed out that the arts festivals were... Um, that existing festivals were getting dropped from gaming funds. And he said, it's interesting because we have a number of good festivals that need support already. The government is speaking out of both sides of their mouth. They claim to support festivals with this new event, and yet they don't. So, the, uh, the story goes on, and uh, we'll, have to, we'll have to stay tuned. So... Uh, But for now, moving on, Uh, we will take a short break, and when we come back, we will uh, talk to the Avid brothers who will be at the Folkfest this weekend. So stay uh, with us. Oh wait, what am I going to play? I need to play an ad, hmm, how about this one? We'll be right back after this one message that will load as soon as I discontinue speaking and the computer starts loading. No.
2: You know Joe, you start with these riffs in your head
6: We're good.
2: and something you want to say and you want to spin gold but the thing is people don't want you your sounds. They only want... You
4: people, you're the fucking coolest! just
2: fucking use you. you
6: know what I'm saying you.
4: What is that? What is it? One more shot
7: of salute. <coughs> oh. Tune in to Sore Throats and Clapping Hands, hosted by Robert Privett. Monday evenings at 6.30 on CITR, 101.9 FM in Vancouver.
2: And at the end, it's love. And at the end, it's love.
0: Wow, that is one serious, serious uh, show promo. Okay, uh, next, in our continuing series for the Vancouver Folk Music Festival, which is July 16th till the 18th, we spoke to the Avid Brothers, who will be here in Vancouver for the the weekend festival. And um, they are a, a sort of... Um, Bluesy, bluegrassy um, band that also crosses over into into punk, and um, and sort of um, you know modernizes the, the 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 genre a little. In fact, uh, for their most recent album. They've worked with uh, Rick Rubin, who is the co-founder of Def Jam Records and has worked over the years with such notable names as Beastie Boys, Run DMC, Slayer, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Rage Against the Machine, and Johnny Cash, just to name a few. So uh, when I asked Bob Crawford of the Abbott Brothers about this, um, he he uh, he got a little intimidated that he had worked with this person, even though he's already done it. Uh, just hearing it, uh, hearing that list of, of names, um, freaked him out. But uh, apparently, he tells us it was um, it was a good uh, uh, collaboration. So let's hear from him. Um, so tell me about "I and Love and You." What's uh, what inspired that title?
4: Phrase was first mentioned in in the the song Scott wrote like a series of uh, of rambling verses uh, for the song, and um, they they touched on that that phrase I'm loving you and and uh, Seth had never heard it kind of said that way and just felt that that would be a good statement as far as the album or the the title of the album. Um,
0: I understand you worked with Rick Rubin. Uh, on this album and uh he mtv said he was the the one of the most important producers of the last 20 years and he was one of the most uh influential people on uh, times list um what was it like working with him
7: you know
4: is uh that that is a very big large persona uh when you when you put it that way it, when, <laughs> you, when you uh 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 you know, announce all his credentials. Um, he was a very calm man, very peaceful, very quiet, uh, very focused on the task at hand. Um, and uh, he was really great to be around. Very, very relaxing. Very, uh, very under. You know, uh, you know, you, you you know, your introduction of him uh, makes me nervous. <laughs> but 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 to be around him didn't make me nervous. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't make me that nervous after the first couple of days. So, uh, so yeah, it was very, uh, it was very, very, very good, good to work with him, and very enjoyable, and uh, really learned a lot. We, we all as a band, I think, learned a lot about about recording a record and, and just kind of the, you know, having taking the having the ability and the presence of mind to take your time when you're doing something and be thoughtful about it.
0: And I understand he, he played a large role in terms of like the sequence of the, of the tracks and that sort of thing. Was it difficult for you guys to, to let go a little?
4: No, I think at that point that you know, he, he was kind of, through the whole recording process, he wasn't overbearing, um, as far as, you know, he, he really went out of his way, I think, to let us do what we do. Um, so when it came to that part of it, sequencing it, it was kind of nice to get it off our minds. And to hand it off to him, and to have someone else that we trusted take take that upon themselves, and uh, it was really it worked out really good. I think.
1: Mm.
0: Um, y- y- you guys have said I, I don't have uh, who said this quote exactly, but uh, that that the intention with this album was to make a record in a different way than in the past. Was there something wrong with what was being done in the past?
4: No, but it, it and I can't really say that that was. You know, I don't know who said that either, and I'm not saying that that, that no one said that or, or that that was wrong. I don't, I don't know that. But I know every time we've made a record, we've done something. We've, it's just kind of been different, a different experience. So, so uh, you know, it it makes sense that, that every experience will follow suit. Because that, everything change, everybody changes a little bit over time, and and you learn more and. You work with different people, so the experience is, is different, and, and as, as was
0: this, was this experience. Um, I heard that the one of the themes of the album is is a transition from youth to adulthood, as, uh, as the brothers sort of hover around the age of, of 30. is uh, Would you say that's accurate?
4: yeah. Uh, can you hear me? You're breaking up.
0: Yeah, you're breaking up a little as well.
4: Uh, I got you now. Okay, yes, I, I agree. I agree that that is accurate. You know, and I don't know if you could say, in terms of, you define know, you could definitely maturing, definitely a realization of the inevitability of the end, and that there is an ending for all of us, and that. You know,
0: Now, there's a lot of, uh, different kinds of musical currents, um, in the Avett Brothers, and I'm curious, what do you guys listen to? What's your, in in your iPod?
4: We, We listen to a lot of different things, and we listen a lot individually to different things. Uh, currently I'm listening to Andy Friedman, he's got an album called Weary Things, he's from Brooklyn, New York, uh, and then I'm listening to a lot of children's music with my daughter, um... You know, like Kinder Music and Baby Einstein, but it's just in Yoga Gabba. I'm listening to that album a lot, uh just because that's that's what's going on in my life uh, right now. Hmm. Uh,
0: looking at your website, I see that there's a, a heck of a lot of touring going on and has been for a while. It, it seems like that's all you do. Do you do you find time to do other things?
4: Well, I mean, you have your family and you take your time off and you spend it with them. And, just try to be a part of their
0: lives, much as possible. All right. Well, thanks very much for uh, for the for the interview and uh, and happy travels. Hey, hey, bye bye. And that was uh, Bob Crawford uh, of the Avid Brothers. Uh, sorry about the, uh, the little breakup there. Uh, he was um, somewhere uh in a, on a phone line somewhere in New York or North Carolina where the other brothers are from and um i actually had to to trim uh quite a bit of that answer uh because it was garbled but um in a way it's kind of interesting to hear what does get uh make it through it's like random words like music destiny meaning of life and i i can only wonder what was what was lost in between those words uh i forgot to tell you that uh i and love and you is the name of the album that was the first question that i asked him uh it is also um a name of a song and um we're gonna play that now this one's called i and love and uh, you load the
2: car and ride the note Grab your bag and grab your coat. Tell the ones that need to know we are headed north. One foot in, one foot back. But it don't pay to live like that. So I cut the ties and I jump the tracks for never to return. All oh, Brooklyn, Brooklyn, take me in. Oh, you are you aware the shape I'm in? My hands they shake my Okay. Such a waste of time. That woman, she's got eyes that shine. Like a pair of stolen polished dyes. She asked to dance, I said it's fine. the suns go and down
6: ITR 101.9 FM is proud to support Public Dreams Society in the 2010 Illuminaries Lantern Procession, Journey to a New World, on July 24th from 4 to 10 p.m. at the W2 Storium at 151 West Cordova Street. It will be a departure from years past in its new location, but remains a celebration of community, art, and light spreading through W2 Storium's large indoor spaces and out into Trounce Alley and around the Woodward site. For more information, visit publicdreams.org.
0: Hey, we're back on CITR 101.9 FM. This is The Arts Report, and I'm Adam Janusz. This summer, Seven Tyrants Theatre is presenting The China Tea Deal 3 with the Dr. Sun Yat-sen Classical Chinese Garden. The show is a roving historical fairy tale taking audiences through the space with scenes happening along the way as part of an 18th century journey to China. The audience sips tea, helps bargain for the riches of the East, and even votes on a swing ending. Uh, so this will be going on uh, all summer long, and to find out more about it, I spoke to Daniel Dirksen and David Newham, who together um, are the artistic producers, I believe, uh, yes, co-artistic producers, and, uh, and writers, and directors, and just, um, just all-purpose people on it, and um, here's that interview. The China TDO is an historical fairy tale.
8: It is a uh, roving play that takes audiences on a journey through the Dr. Sun Yat-sen classical Chinese garden uh, in Chinatown. And the story is a fairy tale saga that has taken us over several chapters. So this year we are presenting, and very excited to present, Chapter 3. As uh, the audience in this uh, play, you're basically the crew of an East India Company trading expedition to China in the early 18th century. And so with the help of your uh, fearless Lord Admiral Bispin Woodfellow, who's played by my co-director here, David, uh, you help um, establish trade with the Chinese in Suzhou at the time. You can barter for the various items, sip tea, take a journey through a scholar's household, and even help Decide the fate of the trading expedition.
0: Okay, so I imagine this is pretty uh, interactive. It
5: is, yeah. Uh, um, in various you know parts of the play, there's different levels of interactivity. Um, so we try and kind of build some of that in throughout because we like uh, to kind of um, challenge some of those conventions in that way. And so from the get-go, as Dan says, the audience takes part. Uh, they're they're there as the crew of this East India Company mission to China. And so the captain will, you know, refer to them, the various characters speak directly to them and acknowledge them. And um, as they get taken through the piece, they're, you know, offered all of the uh, niceties that the characters are offered. So, you know, the captain comes into this household and his crew are with them. So they're all welcomed and given tea, as Dan says. And
8: near the end... um, they get to help actually decide the fate of the venture <laughs> and uh, a swing ending as part of the play so it um, can be a different ending depending on which night uh, which night you come and although in an interactive sense we don't take it to the extent of um, what we might call forced participation uh, it's fundamentally interactive in that the audience is right there with the characters the characters are right there with the audience and you're interacting being spoken to and you're really part of the household and immersed in the household mm. so
0: now for, for people not familiar with the previous installments does like does this one sort of continue on where, where the last sort of chapter left off it does
5: continue on but we've um, we feel that it's actually like uh, very easy to enjoy if you've never seen the China tea deal before um, and uh, you know obviously that's something we wanted to uh, to cater to as people who are coming in tea deal virgins as we like to call them <laughs> and, uh, uh, but uh, but it does continue the story of this captain uh, captain Woodfellow and uh, his dealings with the Chinese in Suzhou in the early
0: part of the 1700s. And so tell us a little bit about the first chapter. Uh, the first, chapters. the
5: first couple of years? Well, in our first year we had the captain coming in for the very first time. And so he was pretty unaware of, of what the reaction was going to be from the Chinese and how to actually deal with the Chinese. And so in many ways this, the, the trilogy has been a story of East meets West, Mm -hmm. and a kind of a sussing out of one another between, you know, the the Western powers, which is, in our play, is represented by the British East India Company, and the Eastern powers, which in our play is obviously represented by the Chinese uh, government in this this small
8: town. And, um, yeah, so... Basically, uh, in the first year, uh, Captain Woodfellow comes to China specifically on a mission to make a deal for tea, to get the precious tea that the fad of uh, tea drinking has just exploded in in Europe basically very recently at that time, the early 1700s. And so he's come to China to make a deal for tea. So in the first year he does, he successfully makes a deal to take tea from uh, the city of Suzhou, the fabled garden city in China. And uh, then the second year, uh, he comes back and expands the deal to include opium as well. Uh, which is the uh, the company's real hope for uh, offsetting a trade imbalance that's developing, because, of course, at that time, the uh, European markets were thrilled by all of these wonderful Chinese goods, in particular silk, tea, and porcelain, and uh, the Chinese didn't really want anything of European craftsmanship, <laughs> so uh, they had somewhat of a trade imbalance. They would really only take silver, and that was until they started to bring opium into the country and found a subversive market there and were able to essentially push opium on the Chinese population to reverse that trade imbalance. So we wanted to introduce the very early seeds of, of um, that trade. Last year. And we did that uh, last year in the second year, yeah. So now in the third year, Captain Woodfellows returned to China after uh, a few years of not hearing from the folks he made the deal with. He's received, uh, received a mysterious invitation to come back, and of course uh, he doesn't trust it for a moment, so he's assembled a trusty crew to come with him and basically uh, protect him while he sees he what's on. his deal and
5: yeah, sees what's going on in China. So,
0: Tell me, uh, in terms of the, the production and making it happen, what's it like uh, working in um, in the gardens, <laughs> it's fabulous. Yeah,
5: it's, it's actually a real treat. Uh, it's just such a such an outstanding space. Um, every time we walk into it, I'm like, just feel lucky to be there because it's so tranquil and like peaceful. And you walk out of you know middle of Chinatown where it's you know, bustling city streets and into this just peaceful, beautiful garden. And um, it's a real treat uh, not only to get to work there, but I think for the audience to get to see a show in that environment because it doesn't happen very often. So it's kind of a um,
8: uh, unique opportunity
5: mm-hmm.
8: and it's also very it, it really um it does uh, play into how we develop the show because we're able to rehearse in the space which is a real treat and uh, you know, if any of you folks have been to the uh, dr Sunnyasen garden or if you come see the show uh, you'll see that it's really <laughs> a dream of a set and uh, and it impacts the way that we develop the show as well because we don't need to really use too much extra technological gimmickry in order to get our uh, ideas across and to really make an authentic experience for the audience because the set is so immersive that all you really need to do is place yourself there with some compelling characters and you're taken right back to 18th century China. So it's a tremendous help as well.
0: Well, um, break legs with the show. That's great. Right. Thanks, Thanks so much, much. for having us on. Okay, so that was Daniel Dirksen and David Newham and um, so the t- China Tea deal 3 is uh, every Saturday and Sunday evening at 7.30pm until August 29th. Uh, and that's alongside the Enchanted Evenings concert series. So, um, if you want a free pair of tickets to check out this roving um, garden theatrical experience, now is the time to pick up your phone and dial and I shall get those tickets to you. The number to call is 604 822 Eight, seven. So it's two tickets, and they are for any Saturday or Sunday throughout the summer. So these are really flexible tickets. And, um, yeah, give me a call and, um, and snap them up. The number is 604-822-2487, which is 604-UBC-CITR. How clever is that? All right, so we'll be um, right back. And when we return, we will talk to Vincent Parker, who will be at the One Cool Word relaunch party at uh, the rickshaw coming up. So uh, stay with us and give us a call.
4: Hello, Micro. We're at 8,000 feet. Perish and cold, and I'm bored still. What about putting on a hot Grammarville record to cheer me up?
2: Hello? Mm. Hello. Hello? Is this Harlem 77711?
4: Hello, fellas. This is Duke Ellington. Ah, uh, get it. Pause. Let's get sweet and hot. In the opinion of hot music critics, Count Basie has one of the best dance orchestras in the country. King of the clarinet,
2: Hardy Shaw, and his orchestra making dance history in the Blue Room of the Hotel Lincoln
7: in New York City. Every Thursday from 10 till noon, join me, your host, Charles Burnham. For Sweet and Hot, a celebration of the 78 RPM record, the three-minute masterpiece, and the golden age of North American songwriting. Hot jazz, swing, and popular music from the 1920s, 30s, and 40s. That's every Thursday from 10 till noon here on CITR 101.9 FM. Did you enjoy that blue bottle?
4: That's a swell record, I must get it.
0: What is number? All right, so coming up on July 23rd is the relaunch for OCW Magazine, which I have, uh, I just realized uh, I've been a very bad man and I've been saying one cool word, Magazine, but that's f- formerly... Their title, they are now OCW Magazine, so uh, I beg forgiveness for that. Uh, The uh, relaunch party features a strong lineup of local musicians, comedians, and artists who set the tone for the release of issue 5.1, number 17. The first as OCW Magazine. Uh, The event features Parlor Steps, who also performed at One Cool Word's launch party in April 2006. I know I said it again, but I'm reading this time. This is their own press release, so it's not my fault. Uh, As well as music by Wilderness Years, Elephant Train, and Vincent Parker, uh, who I will speak to in a moment. Uh, with live visuals from Piss and Vinegar. Uh, the comedy of Charles Demere, uh Graham Clark, The Sunday Service, Bronx Cheer, Man Hussey, Ivan Decker, and MC Jai Harris. Uh, as a bonus on this special occasion, guests will receive a one-year subscription to OCW Magazine with uh, cover. So that's Friday, uh, July 23rd, 2010 at 7.30pm at the Rickshaw Theatre on Hastings. Tickets are $15. Um, now here is um, Vincent Parker. And uh, he uh, graciously took time uh, out of eating his uh, his lunch to uh, to speak to me earlier today and uh he's a a musician who's come out with a sort of uh electro ooh, I, I dare not give it give it names um but um yeah in the realm of electronic music and his album is called uh Prism Mist but he also does a lot of other art uh including he he's a he's a I guess illustrator uh for the Biltmore Cabaret so a lot of the uh promotional material you might see for the Biltmore some of that is done by uh by Vincent and, uh, and he has a really cool uh, website as well, which I'll tell you about uh, after the interview. But uh, in the interview, he tells me um, about uh, some of his philosophies, and he gets quite deep into um, how music, uh, or how recorded music, can never truly represent what an artist's music is, because it's just one example, it's one artifact. It's not uh, the be-all and end-all. So uh, have, a, have a listen. First off, welcome. Uh, thanks for being on the show. Hey, no problem. Um, so... To begin, tell me about your various uh, art endeavors, because you are not just uh, a musician, but you also do other kind of art forms. Can you give me a a brief sort of summary of all the things that you do?
7: Uh, Oh, dear. (laughs) So um, I currently am one of the designers for the Biltmore Cabaret. Um, The design is like my illustration work. I graduated from Emily Carr in uh, General Fine Arts, uh, so I do have the whole fine art thing that I do, but that's in no way ready to be shown to anybody yet. Uh-huh. Right now, I've been focusing on the uh, the posters and doing like designs for bands and package design and that kind of stuff.
0: Speaking of uh, Prism Mist, um, mm-hmm. now you've described it as your as your manifesto. Is that right? Am I making that up?
7: Uh, um, well, it's been it's the, one of the first records that's been uh, made along the lines of my manifesto.
0: Oh, uh, okay.
7: Like, the album itself isn't a manifesto oh. unless, well, well, I guess, it's the first unveiling of it. Uh, the idea of having um, is pretty much that a recording is, like, a moment in time. Mm-hmm. That's what a recording generally is. Like, us right now, we're being pre-recorded, mm-hmm. and that is a moment in time. And so a record doesn't necessarily mean that it's like the final work. So if I went and I listened to a band who is like, let's say, a bluegrass band, and they're going to play their album uh, worth of music live, and they play it again another day, it would be the same songs, but ever so slightly different. It wouldn't be the real thing until you hear it live. Hmm. So that, like, let's say, we get the most. Uh, this might be a little bit strange and convoluted here. But no, no, you get going. the. Um, you get the most. Uh, Quote, quote, authentic bluegrass recording. That bluegrass recording is not authentic. It is a moment of them that have been
0: captured. So, can you ever get true authenticity then?
7: Not, it, well, you can get a uh, authentic record, sure. Like, it could be. But I'm talking about it in my point of view mm-hmm. is that when we're talking about a recording of a band or whatever, the recording, I don't think, should, like, dictate how that song is. Forever. I see.
0: I see, and so in terms of your manifesto, then it cannot, a recording cannot truly express what the manifesto is. Is that is that what you mean?
7: Well, the, the manifesto is just how I put the thing together. Um, instead of like getting really, really tedious and micro-editing every little bit, I'm, I could consider the music to be a form of uh, IDM or uh, intellectual dance music or <laughs> intelligent dance music or something like that because of the amount of things that are going on. And usually that's actually pretty, like, hyper-edited, and it, there's a plan to a track. And especially electronic music, you've got a track being worked on on a computer and getting somebody get real precious with this track and keep doing it, keep working it, and keep working it. And especially when you're dealing with, like, electronic music, uh, the bedroom recording artist, it's, it's really hard to keep things fresh and spontaneous like, you know, any other kind of recording. Mm-hmm. So the idea was to make a system in the way that I make my music, so I am able to play it live uh, anytime, Mm -hmm. and it still be different every time. I don't know.
0: Right? Did
7: I lose point there?
0: No, no, (laughs) no points lost there. So it's still the same track, the same music. Like you're still doing, like you say, it's still systematic but yeah. it's still unique. It, it is unique within that sort of uh, structure. That moment. Yes.
7: That moment makes it unique.
0: Oh, Very interesting.
7: So like most of Prison Mist was recorded in two days. Mm-hmm. Uh, 14 tracks in two days usually is pretty crazy, but the systems were built for, for it. And those systems are play my melodies or my bass lines or uh, either of the rhythm sections. And those don't change, but the way that they're sequenced, the way that they're brought forth, um, always change. So if you're going to see me live one day, you'll see one thing, and I will read the audience a certain way, and I'll play it a certain way. Mm-hmm. And then I, if I'm, and if they're really hype, it might be a really hype show. Mm-hmm. And if everybody's feeling really dark, I can do a darker variation on the same song. It mm-hmm. doesn't make it a new song. It doesn't make it a remix. It's still the same song. The same way I would re- like you read poetry. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to read the poet, uh, the poem and uh, one day I'm going to say it out loud this place. Or if I say it out loud another place, it doesn't make the poem any different, but it's the, the recording of the poem would be different each
0: time. Cool. All right. Um, well, I'll let you get back to your lunch, but uh, thanks for the interview. <laughs>
7: hey, no problem. I hope it wasn't too convoluted
0: there. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> All right, that was Vincent uh, Parker, and you really should check out his website because it's phenomenal. It's vincentparker.ca. You can see um, some of the art that he does, and it's uh, pretty—it's really cool. Including uh, the first one that pops up when I click on art is uh, a poster for Music Waste, Um, and it's got these um, these little ghosts, and uh, they're puffing on um, some sort of wacky, tabacky, and uh, the smoke that they make, uh, in between the smoke is the word music waste. Um, that, t- that really didn't describe anything of how awesome it is. You'll just have to go to the website, uh, vincentparker.ca, to see what I mean. But you should also go there, because if you click on music, you can download his, uh, his album Prism Mist for free you can get the album and i think you can contribute uh, your own remixes um i may be mistaken but um, when i click on music um there are all these different uh remixes from from all these different uh artists and people who have taken uh his track uh taken one of uh one of the tracks on the cd um one of the many tracks and uh, made it uh, their own and you can you can hear those uh, clips as well and see what they've done with it. So it's a really cool website. Check it out. Uh, and uh, just a quick uh, reminder, this is the OCW Relaunch Party. We'll have more on it uh, in next week's show. So uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, we're, nearing the, we're nearing the end of our show, but uh, I thought I'd give you a bit of a, uh, a glossary, uh, dictionary time of the Arts Report, uh, you, ha- you heard the words uh, intelligent dance music, or IDM. Um, and I just looked that up, and it's a term, if you don't know,